Another beautiful day that I did not earn, and God gave me anyway. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. That is from 2 Kings, chapter 22, verse 11. There are things culturally sometimes that you read in the Bible that don't really translate. Uh, one of those things is tearing your robes. Um, when someone was very upset or wanted to show they were in deep mourning or just being very emotional, the thing you would do is you would grab the front of your garment and you would tear it. This is the same culture that used to put on sackcloth and rub ashes on their face to show that they were mourning. So um, that isn't something that we're necessarily going to do. But if you would please just put yourself in whatever the cultural equivalent is of tearing your clothes, you would just be upset. You might punch the wall or kick dirt, all of which don't seem strange to you. Yet for some reason, tearing your clothes will. I know I'm not the only person who's ever punched a wall before. Show of broken knuckles, who's punched a wall before? All right, see? Some of you aren't being honest right now. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. If your husband's an expert at patching drywall, you've been figured out. You might as well just tell us. Anyhow, um, in the story of God and man together, we're in Second Kings, and there was a lot of scriptures to go with this chapter that I'm using as an outline. I've cut it down to three chapters because I think if I try to do any more than that today, we're going to lose sight of something important. So, um, granted, I'm only using three chapters today, which probably sounds like a lot. So we find ourselves in chapter 21, where Manasseh becomes king. Do we have any 12-year-olds in, in the church right now? Anybody 12? Do we have 11-year-olds? I know we have at least one. Okay, my daughter's 11. She does not want to be the center of attention. Neither does a woman who she's desperately clinging to want to be the center of attention. My daughter's 11. Just keep that in mind. Because <laughs> that's the closest we have to this age. Okay. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. And he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hephzibah. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. And he raised up altars for Baal and made a woman in image as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. And he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord of which the Lord said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts and in the house of the Lord. He also made his son pass through the fire, practice soothsaying, use witchcraft, and consulted spiritists and mediums. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. So in your 
in your version, because this is the N, uh, the New King James, it says he caused his son to pass through the fire. Fire. He sacrificed his son to Moloch. He burnt his son alive for prosperity to a pagan god. Passing him through the fire sounds rather mild. I just thought I would stop and put that into context. He even set a carved image of Asherah that he had made in the house of which the Lord said to David and to Solomon his son, In this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. This is a massive desecration to God's house to have an Asherah pole. And Asherah is the goddess of fertility. And they worship the goddess of fertility in every abominable way that you can pretty much think of that would deal with the goddess of fertility. He put this in God's house. He's a wicked, wicked man. And I will, excuse me, and I will not make the feet of Israel wander any more from the land which I gave the fathers, only if they are careful to do according to all that I have commanded them and according to all the law that my service Moses commanded them. But they paid no attention. And Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. And the Lord spoke by his servants, the prophets, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations, he has acted more wickedly than all the Amorites who were before him, and has also made Judah sin with these idols, with his idols. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such a calamity upon Jerusalem and Judah, that whoever hears it, both his ears will tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measure line of Samaria, the plum, plummet of the house of Ahab, I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. So I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance, deliver them into the hands of their enemies, and they shall become victims of plunder to all their enemies, because they have done evil in my sight. And they have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt, even to this day. Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another. Besides his sin, by which he made Judah sin in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh, all that he did and the sin that he committed, are they not written in the book of Chronicles? Of the king of Judah. So Manasseh rested with his fathers and was buried in the garden of his own house in the garden of Uzzah. Then his son Ammon reigned in his place. And Ammon was seven or was twenty-two when he became king, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Meshulameth, the daughter of Heraz of Joth of Jotba, excuse me. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And his, as his father Manasseh had done, he also walked in all the ways that his father walked, and he served the idols that his father served, and he worshipped them. He forsook the Lord God of his fathers and did not walk in the way of the Lord. Then the servants of Ammon conspired against him and killed the king in his own house. But the people of the land executed all those who had conspired against King Ammon. Then the people of the land made his son Josiah king in his place. 
Now the rest of the acts of Ammon, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? And he was buried in his tomb in the garden of Uzzah. Then Josiah, his, his son, reigned in his place. We've just heard about two horrible kings who acted just frighteningly like we probably do inside our own minds. I just want to put things into context. We have a tendency to really judge people for worshiping Asherah. And we should. It's an abomination. But, and I'm not going to have you raise your hands for this because what would be the point? Have you ever looked lustfully upon another human being? If the answer is yes, or if the answer is pretty regularly, you are a prime candidate for worshiping Asherah. I'm just going to throw that out there. If you found yourself wandering to places to gaze upon things you should not be gazing upon, there's a pretty good possibility that you may have fallen into the trap of worshiping Asherah. Just going to put that out there for you. Evil still exists in the same way that it existed before. It has changed names and perhaps methods a little bit. Or rationalization. It all is still here. And you wouldn't have to look too far to find a Christian brother or sister caught up in any of it. These aren't just primitive people that were primitive and we've grown so far beyond it. These are people with a little less technology. They weren't dumber than us. If you drop me in the middle of the woods and were expecting me to send you an email sometime, you're not going to get it. I don't know how to build a computer. I don't know how to build a wireless system. I don't know how to contact you. I am then a primitive person, and so are most of you. We think we've evolved because we can check our email on a smartphone. These people are us. We are them. We are just like them. But there's good news coming. Very quickly. Do we have any eight-year-olds in the congregation? Someone be eight, please. Oh, what age are you kids now? Goodness. I see a bunch of you. We don't have a single eight-year-old. You're eight years old? That is excellent. Can you do something I never, ever want you to do again after today? Will you stand up on the pew just for a second so everybody can look at your cute face? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is a very... Typical, the wonderful eight-year-old boy. Thank you so much, buddy. I appreciate you. I'll try not to embarrass you again until next week. Um, but I want you to keep in mind, that is an eight-year-old boy. And all of the splendor and design that God created eight-year-old boys to be in a culture where people were people just like they're people now, that is an eight-year-old boy. You're with me, right? 
Josiah was eight years old when he became king. The people made him king. Okay, we're all together, right? Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah of Bozkath. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in all the ways of his father David, and he did not turn aside from the right hand or the left. Now it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent Shapham, the scribe, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkah, the high priest, that he may count the money which has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people, and let them deliver it into the hand of those doing the work, who are overseers in the house of the Lord, and let them give it to those who are in the house of the Lord doing the work to repair the damages of the house. So in this uh, rogues gallery of they did evil in the sight of the Lord kings, the temple has fallen into disrepair. It's fallen into ruin. It is being misused. People are still going to the temple, but now they're going to sacrifice to the Lord, or maybe they're going to sacrifice to Asherah, or maybe they're going to sacrifice to Baal. But they're still going to the temple. They still have a priesthood, but the temple has fallen into disrepair because it's not a priority. But Josiah, who did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked as his father David, sees this disrepair and says, we need to fix this. Which at the time he would be, what, 26 in his 18th year of reign. To the carpenters and the builders and the masons to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house. However, there need be no accounting made with them of the money delivered into their hand because they deal faithfully. Then Hilkah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. He found the Torah. They hadn't even been using scripture. This is news. I found the book of the law that was given to Moses. They've decayed so much they don't even know what scripture is. So Shephan, the scribe, went to the king, bringing the king word, saying, Your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house, and they have delivered it into the hand of those who do the work, who oversee the house of the Lord. Then Shephan, the scribe, showed the king, saying, Hilkah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shephan read it before the king. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkah, the priest, Ahikam, the son of Shepham, Achbor, the son of Micaiah, Sephan, the scribe, Nesiah, a servant of the king, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me, for the people, and for all of Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us because of our fathers, who have not obeyed the words of this book. 
to do according to all that is written concerning us. So Hilkah the priest, Achim, Akbar, Shaphan, and Isaiah went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikva, the son of Harhas, the keeper of wardrobe. She dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they spoke with her. Then she said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants, all the words of the book which the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and they have burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched. But as far as the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against the place and against the inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse. And you tore your clothes and you wept before me. I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this people. So they brought back word to the king. So there's something that I take away from this that we can very easily put into practice. When you become aware of your sin, it should bother you. We're all sinners. That becomes a very easy justification for all kinds of behavior. Well, don't judge me just because I sin differently than you. True. Yeah, maybe we shouldn't. But if you are aware that you're sinning and you continue in your sin, then you're not sorry. You can say you're sorry all you want. If you continue in your sin, you are not sorry. You are trying to use your salvation as a fire insurance policy. You are cheapening grace. You are cheapening the physical death of Almighty God. Don't do it. It's a trap. Chapter 23. If I wanted to say it in the cheapest terms, terms possible, chapter 23 is pretty neat. In chapter 23, Josiah restores true worship using the Torah, goes back and see what did God tell us we were supposed to be doing? And he reestablishes the proper worship of God. I was raised a little bit more on the Pentecostally charismatic side. This is the part of scripture where you can see people who may or may not have been slain in the spirit. I'm just going to put it out there. They fell before God, before the absolute holiness of God. Hmm. Anyhow, I'm going to read some of 23 for you, possibly all of it. We'll see. Now the king sent together the 
all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. The king went up into the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and with him all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the house of the Lord. Everyone in Jerusalem showed up for him to read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Some of you are probably checking your watches because you knew I was going through three chapters. Let's put this in perspective, y'all. It's Sunday. We've given this time to God. I apologize for many things, but this isn't one of them. The king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all of his heart and all of his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. And all the people took a stand for the covenant. And the king commanded Hilkah, the high priest, the priest of the second order and the doorkeepers to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the articles that were made for Baal and for Asherah and for all the hosts of heaven. And he burned them outside of Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. He removed the adulterous priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense in the high places and the cities of Judah and in those places all around Jerusalem. And those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, to the constellations, to all the hosts of heaven. And he brought out the wooden image from the house of the Lord to the brook Kidron outside Jerusalem and burned it at the brook Kidron to the ground, ground it to ashes, and he threw the ashes on the graves of the common people. And he tore down the ritual booths of the perverted persons that were in the house of the Lord, where the women wove hangings for the woman wooden image. It does not take me to tell you what the booths of the perverted persons were for, does it? This is in the temple. They have decayed to the point where they're calling good evil and evil good. To where the temple itself has resident prostitutes. Because that is very much part of worshiping Asherah, the goddess of fertility. They do this thing called, I believe, sympathetic magic. Whereas if you act in a certain behavior, it will cause your god or goddess to act in the same way. There's reasons. I'm not going into it. It's very disturbing. Anyhow. And he brought all the priests from the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense from Gaba to Beersheba. He also broke down the high places at the gates, which were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were to the left of the city gate. Nevertheless, nevertheless, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among the, their brethren. And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or daughter pass through the fire to Moloch. Then he removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun, 
at the entrance of the house of the Lord, by the chamber of Nathan Malik, of the officer who was in the court, and he burned the chariots of the sun with fire. The altars that were on the roof, the upper chamber of Ahazaz, the kings of Judah had made, and the altars which Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord, the king broke down and pulverized them there and threw their dust into the brook Kidron. Then the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem, which were on the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the abomination of the Sidons, and for Chemosh, the abomination of the Moabites, and for Milcom, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he broke the places, the sacred pillars, and cut down the wooden images, and filled their places with the bones of men. Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel, and the high place which Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, had made Israel sin, had made both the altar and the high place. He broke down, and he burned the high place, and he crushed it to powder. And he burned the woman wooden image. As Josiah turned, he saw the tombs that were there on the mountain. And he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed, who proclaimed these words. Then he said, what gravestone is that I see? So some of the men of the city told him, it is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and proclaimed these things which you have done against the altar of Bethel. And he said, let him alone, let no one move his bones. So they let his bones alone and the bones of the prophet who came from Samaria. Now Josiah also took away all the shrines and the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made to provoke the Lord to anger. And he did to them according to all the deeds they had done to Bethel. He executed all the priests of the high places who were there. On the altars he burned men's bones on them, and he returned to Jerusalem. Then the king commanded all the people, saying, Keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in the book of the covenant. Such a Passover surely has never been held since the days of the judges who judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. But in the eighteenth year of King Josiah, this Passover was held before the Lord in Jerusalem. Moreover, Josiah put away those who consulted mediums and spiritists, the household gods and idols, all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and of Jerusalem, that he might perform the words, the law which were written in the book that Hilkah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Now before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might according to the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. It's not bad for an eight-year-old kid, is it? I mean, he's 26 at this time, but... But you see that he's so overcome with the wickedness that his father had done and that his father had done and that his father's fathers had done. That not only does he say stop worshiping the gods, he tears down their altars and he desecrates their altars. And again, this is a bit of biblical history. At no point do I think this means go vandalize that other place of worship in Erie or in Union City, or anywhere else. 
We're not to have abominations. We're not to be doing false worship. We should be separate from that. We see that as a model. I don't believe God is calling us to go in and tear down people's altars. I'm just throwing that out there. I've heard one too many sermons about us going to smite the pagans or smite the heathens. I am not buying what you're selling. I will not drink your Kool-Aid. But I am saying we need to put away our idols and follow the Lord God as he has said we should. I'm on verse 26 in chapter 23. Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn from the fierceness of his great wrath with which his anger was aroused against Judah because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will also remove Judah from my sight as I have removed Israel, and I will cast off this city, Jerusalem, which I have chosen, and the house which I said, my name shall be here. So eventually, what we end up with is Josiah dies in battle, even though it's he is a righteous man and a good king. There's more. And what you actually have is his son, believe it or not, does what's evil in the sight of the Lord. And his grandson does what's evil in the sight of the Lord. And Judah is eventually overrun by its enemies. And King Nebuchadnezzar comes and drags them all away. Because of the evil actions, they still had consequences. And that never changes. And I keep saying this because I keep hearing a very loud voice say the other. In order for justice to occur, evil has to be punished. Without evil being punished, justice does not exist. When we look at the beginning of verse 23, you have a young man going around and finding all of the sources of idolatry in this city. And removing them. Not just removing them, but destroying them. You can't rebuild something that's been ground to powder and thrown in the river. I firmly believe, as I've been going through the Old Testament, reading all the cliff notes and the commentaries and all those other things, the footnotes, not cliff notes, goodness, all the footnotes and the commentaries and listening to other people's sermons on them and reading history books and all of that. All of the ways in which people worshipped these false gods, we still do culturally. We still do them. Even Christian people you know may be caught up in something that at this time period would have been considered idol worship. 
What are the things in our lives that should be torn down and ground to powder? I'm sure you have one. I make jokes about mine sometimes. If you've seen me from the side, you can probably tell what one of my idols is. I paid a lot of money to look like this. I have a little problem with food. Wait, poquito. You can't quit eating, though. It's the only habit on earth you can't just stop or you die. I'm sure we have other things. I'm sure someone in here plays too many video games and someone else spends 16 hours a day on Facebook or has just binge watched their third Netflix show of the week or whatever. Or maybe it's something that's gross to the rest of us and we don't need to talk about it, but we all have idols. I love that sound. I absolutely do. Church doesn't sound like church unless there's kids in it, does it? Anyhow. When I bring up the idea of removing the idols from our lives, it's not because we have to be perfect because we don't have that ability. You are going to sin. But are you going to willfully sin? We're all going to make mistakes, but are you going to be flippant about it or are you going to address them? I don't want this to be a sermon where I make you feel bad for all the stuff you own and for all the stuff you do and all the things that you enjoy. But can we be mindful of it? You're allowed to have hobbies. When we see the description of Josiah, he loved the Lord his God with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to the law of Moses. Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, which is repeated by Jesus as being the most important commandment, followed by that verse from Leviticus, love your neighbor as yourself. James tells us that pure religion is visiting the widows and the orphans in their affliction. So maybe we're not talking about the rich widow that just puts you in her will. Maybe we are. But visiting the widows and the orphans in their affliction. That is pure religion. We have a beautiful building here. We have a nice meeting house, and I like this building very much. And there's nothing wrong with having this building and having a pretty building and making things nice. Because there is also this biblical principle that we bring God our best. But we should be careful about the trappings that we can have as part of that. Because we should still be focused on loving the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. We should also be concerned with visiting the orphans and the widows in their affliction. 
And I don't know what the idols are that should be torn down and removed from our church or from our culture or from our anything. I know what some of them are. But you may or may not believe this. I am not a king. I cannot decree things be torn down. I am in control of myself. There's a lunch after church today. I am going to eat at it. Please don't calorie count my plate. And I'll do my best to keep it to one plate. It's going to be massive, but that's okay. Anyhow, that's what I have for today. Hopefully I didn't come across as being too legalistic. But I am in the Old Testament right now, so I think that that's safe. If you're able to, can you please stand with me? Father God, I thank you for your scriptures. I thank you for your words. I thank you for these examples that we have. Father God, I pray that anything that I said that was not from you would be quickly forgotten. Pray that you would draw all these people into a love, an absolute loving relationship with you. Where we sacrifice for you out of love, not out of resentment or duty. Father, I pray that you would be with our time together after the service, that you would bless the food, that you would help us to fellowship together as one body. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.